welcome to Inside Sponsorship, the show that provides sponsorship professionals with advice, insights and news so they can maximise their commercial programmes and achieve best practice. The Supercars Championship is a touring car racing category in Australia running as an international series under FIA regulations. The Supercars Championship holds races right across Australia and has often held one in New Zealand as well. The vehicles used in the series are loosely based on road-going cars, obviously with modifications though. The Bathurst 1000, also known as the Great Race and held in some form since 1960, is the most famous race on the supercars calendar, as well as the longest, both in terms of race distance and race time, because the race is run over 161 laps, making up 1,000 kilometres or 620 miles in total. And it takes about six to seven hours to complete. And the event has historically attracted crowds of around 200,000 people. Dick Johnson Racing is Australia's oldest motor racing team and is one of the competing teams in the Supercars Championship, competing as the Shell V-Power Racing Team. Founded by Dick Johnson, the team's drivers have won 10 Australian Touring Car Championship titles and the team has taken four victories in Australia's premier race, the Bathurst 1000. For those not familiar with Dick Johnson, he was part of Queensland's 150-year celebrations, Queensland being the state in Australia that he was born and lives in. Dick was named as one of the 150 icons of Queensland for his role as a sports legend. And to put that into perspective, that list of 150 only has 15 sports people on it. And I can tell you, Queensland is a state in Australia that prides itself on its sporting success. So being one of only 15 sports people is something special and definitely speaks to the regard Dick Johnson is held in. Dick Johnson himself, now in his 70s, but very much still involved with the team, was only a sporadic entrant in the Australian Touring Car Championship during the early 70s, but came to the fore when a change in regulations introduced a car to the series known as the XD Falcon, which was produced by Ford, and that elevated Dick Johnson from everyday Joe to rock star status pretty much overnight. And part of the folklore that is Dick Johnson is the tale of Johnson's battle with the rock at Bathurst in 1980, which is now legendary, but I won't spoil it for those that haven't heard it, and I'll leave it to our guests to share in the show a little bit later. Hi, I'm Daniel Oyston, host of Inside Sponsorship, and you're listening to episode 124, brought to you by Core Software. Thanks for joining us for another episode, and I hope you are doing well and kicking goals in your part of the world, no matter what your connection with the sponsorship industry is. And good news, I have a shout-out. Chris Mullock, Commercial Partnerships Executive at Emirates Old Trafford, Lancashire Cricket Club in the UK, connected on LinkedIn and wrote, just wanted to say hi, I started in partnerships in February and I'm loving it so far. I also commute one hour each way, so progressively getting through every episode of Inside Sponsorship. I've learned so much already and have been inspired by the guests you've had on the show. Thanks for providing such a great podcast. Well, thanks for connecting, Chris, and I'm glad you're finding value in the show and from our guests. As I said before, Dick Johnson Racing is Australia's oldest motor racing team and is one of the competing teams in the Supercars Championship, racing as the Shell V-Power Racing Team. 
Nigel began his sports industry career as a stadium event coordinator and then moving into senior event management roles before moving into sponsorship with the Brisbane Lions who compete in the Australian Football League where he spent around about eight years across various roles. Nigel has been with the Shell V Power Racing Team for two years now as head of commercial and managing some 47 sponsors. Among our topics of conversation are how he manages those 47 partners, the environmental focus of the team and how that works in sponsorships, the abundance of brand logos in racing, and how much the legend of Dick Johnson plays into selling and activating sponsorships for the team. Here's Nigel. Nigel, thanks for coming on the show. Welcome. We always start with a few icebreaker questions, just to have a little bit of fun and a little bit of a way for people to get to know you a little and, and, and help us get going. Your first icebreaker question is, what is the oldest sponsorship you can recall, i.e. like from when you were young, something maybe at school? I grew up watching rugby league in the early 90s. That's my first taste of sport. And being being from Brisbane, the Broncos with Powers, I clearly remember Powers on, on the, the Guernsey. And then at the same vintage, I remember the Canberra Raiders were really big back then. And Canberra Milk was right across the front um, of Laurie Daly. I can remember him running around. So they're my first. It was all around that Wingfield Cup. They're my first memories. You've worked at the Brisbane Lions and now Shell V Power Racing Team. Do you think you'd be more confident in kicking a drop punt for goal from about 40 metres out? I won't make it 50. It's a bit of a journey. Or holding a V8 supercar steady down the straight at full speed? Definitely football. Um, I'm not sure if I go from 40, maybe 30. I'd, I'd, be, I'd be a shake. But it's actually quite interesting. On my second day of the job, I've got in and it's a new team. I'm trying to you know, adjust and, and meet everyone. And we had a, we had a rides day, so we get fans in the car. So at the end of the rides day, the team principal gave me the tap on the shoulder and I jumped in with with Will Davison, one of our drivers. And from that moment, I got such a, a better understanding of what they do for a living. And I clearly know that's not something I can uh, I can do very well. But amazing experience. And I think it's one of the only sports where you can really genuinely get a feel for what the drivers are doing in the the impact on the body and the concentration required to to send that car where it needs to go. Nigel, I'm going to start with the serious stuff by asking about your previous roles, which we were just speaking about then. The Brisbane Lions are an Australian rules football team, but they operate in a state of Australia, which is a rugby league stronghold. It has four rugby league teams in it now. Brisbane obviously has other professional teams across sports like rugby union, soccer slash football, cricket, basketball, netball and the like. How do you differentiate and and tell a story and and position the lines, especially when it's in such a a rugby league mad state? It was really interesting. Almost my time, the lines had three parts. Um, The first part, we we really struggled as an organisation against, as I say, in a rugby league town. Um, Then in the middle part, we had AFLW launch, and that was really powerful for for the game and for us. And it was a brand new product. There's 100,000 women and girls playing AFL in southeast Queensland at the time. So the value proposition changed. And then there was a part where Lions were on the up, were winning games of football, were really topical, and, and, and Brisbane was really becoming proud of it again. It was interesting. I, I remember this time really clearly. We're at a UQ function and we're going, like, losing every game, goal, every game by 10 goals. And we gave away a corporate box. And I remember them announcing it and there was, like, a shadow of laughter around the room. Like, we were going that bad that the room was, like, it was almost like a, a, a junk prize to give away a corporate sweat at the footy. So working through that was amazing 
commercially in hindsight. But back to your question, I think having a national game was a really strong point for us. So when you're looking at at, at, at your sponsor's brand and, hey, how are we going to leverage this, being able to leverage it nationally was important. You know, with head offices, you can go over to Perth and run an engagement program in Perth, in Adelaide, in Darwin, um, and obviously Victoria being a huge part. So what we had to really do is we really focused on brands that were on the up. So we knew we're not going to get the biggest brand. Our TV numbers were, were really low for a long time. So it was really about... Understanding the brand, we had a very good, some very good commercial guys, Phil Ruby and Peter McLennan, who who built really great um, B2B platforms. And so we're really focused in on that. Hey, we're not gonna we're not gonna win every game of footy and we're not gonna have sellouts, but we can introduce you to an amazing suite of other brands. We had a very good coterie group. So gentlemen, primarily and some ladies who came up from Victoria had businesses here. We created these great coterie groups um, where, hey, you can get in. We've got some amazing people around the football club that you can come in and, and try to grow your business. So we we really focused on growing their businesses rather than, hey, you're going to get all these amazing eyeballs. Because at the time, we we couldn't deliver on that. But having, you know, Chris Fagan and David Noble came in, um, I think it was 20, 2016, and basically see the football club going from getting laughed at, at, at a UQ function through to having sellout stadiums and the guys who came in and they were involved in the early days, they sort of came on that journey with you. So they were so sticky. And so I had guys that would just ring and say, Hey, you know, I'm having a meeting. Um, is there any chance, you know, you can write me a recommendation. So, Hey, Daniel, you know, if you come on board as a partner, more than happy to sit down and look at my telecommunication requirements. And that was just so powerful for us. So that's, that's sort of the value proposition we created over, over that time. Refresh my memory. Who was your major sponsor back then? Uh, we had a lot of jumping. Uh, we had a jumping through. We had Vero for a, a big part. Hyundai was strong all the way through. Excel Express were in there. We had Neds for a little while as well. But we we really, during that time, we, we jumped around with a lot of partners, um, which is purely from a, um, the value proposition wasn't there. And probably the small, we had Camperdown Dairy for a while. So we had a couple of these challenger brands that came in because um, that's the where we're at. We weren't attracting the A-grade brands. And if you look at the Brisbane Lions now, you see Hyundai on the Guernsey, you see Yui on the Guernsey. You've got great brands. I think the guys have just done a good job getting Caltex on as well. So there's now premium brands around that club. Um, same with the women's program. You know, got Bond University, um, uh, Hyundai supporting there as well. So, you know, great household brands, um, which, you know, some of them, probably Hyundai's the biggest one, has got amazing legacy with the Brisbane Lions writing that that tough period and um, coming out the other side. Yeah, and it is great to see them doing well both on and off the field. I, I, I'd reiterate that sentiment as well. Nigel, you were at the Brisbane Lions for about eight and a half years, admittedly across multiple roles, but how do you know when it's time to move on from a role, especially a senior one which you had? Because sports don't offer that many opportunities to move up the ladder once you get to the you know higher up the hierarchy. And a lot of people just choose to move either sideways to another rights holder or a brand or an agency. But when you were there, how did you know it was time to move on? COVID was really hard in football. Like to, to give some context, as soon as COVID happened, we all got stood down. Pretty much the game stopped and well in the, the AFL. So we I, myself and Cameron Pope, another one of the commercial guys, the only one sort of left on from our department. So it was sort of two of us doing a couple of days and we sort of built up revenue. Um, game started back on and, and brought our prospective teams back in-house. And it was a massive, you know, two and a half years with the AFL grand final in, in Brisbane, which was amazing. Um, and I just felt like I needed, I was a little bit worried about being typecast as well. So 
I was just looking for a different opportunity where I think I could add value, but also learn a little bit. And and motor racing was very unexpected for me. I'm not. I didn't grow up with it. I'm not across it. I never thought I'd work in it. And uh, I met the owner of their business, Ryan Story, and, and we clicked from a, a business perspective. And um, they had some pretty big goals and what they wanted to do here. And it was just one of those right time, right place, and decided to to give it a crack. And, and we're here nearly two years later. Well, of course, here he is now at Dick Johnson Racing, competing as the Shell V Power Racing Team in the Repco Supercars Championship in Australia. For those overseas listeners, sort of give us some context and background. What are supercars? How does the championship work? So supercars is Australia's premier motorsport category. They're racing the Ford Mustang and the Chevrolet Camaro. Um, The series is regarded as one of the best touring car categories in the world. It's known for its close racing. They're much more robust cars than, say, like a Formula One or an Indy car. Um, So there's a lot of great entertainment associated with it. And our team's a little bit unique. We're the oldest motorsporting um, category in, sorry, team in, in Australia. So our team was was founded by gentleman Dick Johnson. So Dick Johnson Racing, he's still involved in the business every day. But it's actually quite an amazing story because we were crowdfunded in, in a way in 1980. So DJ Dick Johnson is at Bathurst. He's he's funded this car himself. He's he's come from nowhere. He's leading this race in 1980. He's going really well. He's leading. Um, he's come around the top of the mountain at Bathurst, which is our, our biggest race for the year by far. And there's a tilt tray on the side of the road picking up a car. So they've got a flag, but obviously the technology wasn't is what it is now. So he's come over the top of the mountain, seen a tilt tray, like, and on the right of them, there's a lot of stories how it happened, but they end up being a rock sitting in the middle of the road. And DJ is just plowed straight into this rock, written the car off, and basically um, he's he's been obviously extremely emotional after it. And they interviewed him, and he was obviously very flat on, on the telecast, very emotional, and, and Edsel Ford. So... Henry Ford, who began the Ford Motor Company in America, was in in Australia. That's his grandson. Uh, He's in Australia. He's watching the telecast, rang up and said, basically, because all these people were ringing up going, hey, um, if we'd love to give 50 bucks to DJ um, to help him out rebuild this car. Anyway, that goes on and on and on. Etzel goes, hey, we're going to, any any money raised will match it as Ford Australia. So they put together about $80,000 and there started Dick Johnson Racing. So went back the following year, wins Bathurst. Uh, and since then have won, you know, 10 championships um, with DJ and also the Penske organisation. So, you know, having, we had our thousandth race last year. So there's a lot of legacy um, from DJ. But I do love that story from just, um, I think it's very quintessentially Australian. Yes, I agree. I totally love that story. It's a cracker. The V8 supercars travel all over Australia. You're quite different to most sports in that teams don't belong at a stadium or a venue or a city as such. And also that the action isn't simply contained to a to a few hours in one day, so just a match period. There's action over multiple days, multiple categories, etc. What does a race weekend or, or period look like for you in terms of engaging with sponsors and delivering value? Each round is really different. And as I would touch on before before the podcast, we just got back from Darwin. So I'll just talk you through that period of time. So we head up on the Tuesday. So we're racing on the Saturday, Sunday. But we head up Tuesday. We were unveiling an Indigenous livery, which was designed for us by Zoe Raymond from Supply Oz. So she came and designed a livery. Uh, it's in uh, Darwin for, for our supercars is our Indigenous round. So she designed a bespoke livery for us based on the, the team's legacy I, I just touched on. So on Tuesday, we got to Darwin. We shot a beautiful Darwin sunset with the car unveiling the car. 
Um, the next morning, so that was the Tuesday, the Wednesday, we headed to, to CareFlight, who um, Viva Energy or Shell, they're a partner with us and CareFlight. So CareFlight go and rescue people out in the middle of nowhere and um, uh, an amazing organisation. So we headed out to their hangar and we got some shots with our race cars and their helicopters and their recovery vehicles, which, which was cool. Um, and then we had one of our other partners had a great initiative, um, DXC. So they have the laptop program. So we got several of our partners together with um, Shell Australia, Repco, um, and DXC and Penske all donated laptops together. So we went out to Malak State School, unveiled the livery with the kids, and we gave 30 laptops to those those children out there, which was really cool and really well received. Uh, and then we headed to some more in the coming days, some other partner events for, for Repco and for Chemist Warehouse. And then you roll into the event where obviously there's requirements around the series that we need to upheld, driver signings. Um, with our own corporate facilities, we have more ways of setting those up and, and engaging clients. And then the race weekend itself, the Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you're pretty much at track from sort of 7 till 10 or 11, you know, helping the team. We're, we're quite a small team who travel. So you're doing everything from you know, engaging with your partners and corporates, but also just helping out the team more generally. Um, there's a lot to do across the race weekend. And um, you obviously want to be seen supporting the crew who are actually on the tools and, and putting in the actual hard work. Right, doesn't sound busy at all. But on your website, I counted 47 sponsors. Many Tier 1 sports teams anywhere in the world wouldn't have that many, or certainly not many would have more. Why does car racing teams seem to have so many partners? Is it some sort of necessity, or is it just tradition, or what's going on? Mate, it's it's really interesting, because back in the day when I was at the Lions, I used to use... Ricky Bobby from Talladega Nights as an example of what not to do. Um, but now, now landing at a race team, it's it's really interesting. When when the Penske organisation um, ran DJR, they had a big partner with um, race partners in racing and partners in business. Um, and that's a lot of our the commercial model is quite unique in that you know basically eighty percent of our revenue comes from our partners. So we're really hand in glove with them. So we've sort of got maybe ten you know significant partners that we. We're really across really strong, um, large-scale partnerships with. We've also got a lot of support partners where we're literally they're doing the the actual fundamentals and racing you need to race. So from your CNC machinery, which create parts and componentry, to specific racing earplugs, our springs, all those different things. So it's almost you split your partners into your, your commercial partners where you're big brands, but then, as I say, we might have another 30 partners that just – support the team in one shape or of another. Um, so, yeah, very, very different to um, to a football club, for example, but uh, they all play their role. And the cool thing about it is a lot of them have got a direct correlation. So you're not trying to find a story of how they fit in. They're the springs on the car or they're the earpieces we use to communicate to the drivers. All those, um, I guess, parts that, that fit directly into what, what we're doing. Well, with those commercial partners, the, the bigger brands, What's your approach to identifying and prospecting new opportunities around that level of partner? How do you go about it? We're really fortunate to have a great group of partners who've sort of been around for probably between seven and 10 years. So the majority of our partners, our first strategy is to make sure we look after the ones we've got and have quite strong relationships with those guys and making sure we're evolving the partnership as it goes. but to answer your question, B2B focus is probably the first thing we look at. So we go, okay, what's the brand? Who in our partner group can help them? How can they work in? Like, is there is there some correlation with 
Penske, is there some correlation with Coles Express or Aviva Energy? So before we even put a sticker on the car or start, what are some easy wins we can look at? Well, not, not so much easy wins, but what are the opportunities within the partner group? So that's a really big thing we, we think of. Also, we index really well regionally. So we always look, you know, even compared to, to you know, a sport like cricket, we actually we um, index really highly in regional areas. And I think that is because we do travel to areas like, you know, Townsville, Bathurst, outside of, of you know, your Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne, Perth. So being able to get into regional areas is a strength of ours. Um, and also being able to be there for that longer time. Like I say, you're a week in Darwin, so we can we can head out to different areas. We can do some things outside of, of the, the schedule. Um, and probably lastly is just like with any sponsorship, regardless of racing or AFL, is just coming back and giving a really good understanding of what they're looking to achieve and generally can we make a difference in it. Because if we can't, I'm no doubt we've all been part of partnerships that, that haven't worked. And I think it all always stems back to, hey, can we actually achieve what we're setting out to do? Um, and if you can do that and you can work really tightly together, um, you should, should have some good things happen. Well, to that point, we know that logo slapping is something that we should generally try and avoid. However, car racing just wouldn't be the same without it. It would probably look quite anemic as a sport without lots of logos. It's definitely part of the fabric. Lots of logos is kind of like maybe part of the uniform for the drivers and the skins of the cars and, and, and things like that. For those smaller brands, they can't really f- for sure be making logo placement in a crowded event something that they're hinging their success off. So for those smaller brands, is there much looking at identifying what success looks like for those? You know, those ones you spoke about before, the car parts or the racing earplugs, et cetera. It comes to them a little bit of- Hey, what's your business challenge? But, you know, to, to give some examples with Read All, which do all our, our audio, they're not going to, um, you know, be seen on TV and you or I are going to buy the product, but they look at large-scale events. So we can create some really great case studies with racing. And we did the same with, with Dixie's, another great example, where, hey, we're using your technology to make our cars go faster and have to improve business performance. So I think the... Um, creating these really tangible case studies is a great way to use the IP. So when you're in the boardroom pitching your own product, you've got race cars going around, you've got credible people talking about the difference that technology makes within their business, or, hey, we can be relied upon by, you know, that CNC machinery example I gave before, hey, we can be relied upon a race team in and the biggest event of the year that we can be relied upon. So it gives the really great testimonials as a good piece. And also being able to use that leverage, that team IP and their collateral and what they do to really give themselves some differentiation there. For those bigger brands versus the smaller brands, because, I mean, listening to you speak, it sounds as though they're kind of two tiers or, or two pools with, you know, you might have more levels, but you know, we're splitting it into those those bigger brands that are, that are sponsoring for a real commercial outcome. What are you seeing that those brands are seeking out in terms of assets or properties and, and at the moment, and, and how are they linking those back to their goals and objectives? I think there's definitely been a shift, uh, particularly at the moment with with staffing. So there's been a lot of staff engagement we've done. So I think hospitality is back as well. And the great thing about motor racing is the access. So a lot of our partners do a lot of hospitality where they'll take you know 10 best clients down to the track and they'll get in the garage and really be immersed in what they're doing. So having that really um, high level of engagement is really important. Having that hours with a client, building relationships is really important. Um, brand's still super important. We, With our car, we do try to limit the amount of stickers we have on it to 
to make it as clean as we can. It is is a necessity and some teams do take it to the nth degree um but yeah we try to keep it as clean as we can about 10, 10 brands only on the car which is which is still quite a lot but um as i leveraging those other below the line pieces i've sort of touched on is super important and also evolving with the brands when when they change and their their business pivots you pivot with them hey at the moment we've got a staff problem okay well how do we build a better engagement when we're in in Darwin, when we're in towns or with your staff, how do we get them to the track? How do we do some money cup buys to celebrate those staff? Or if it's, hey, we're struggling to attract the right talent, well, when you're at your career shows, how can we leverage in a very racing team, something a little bit different to make you guys stand out? So I think with all these partnerships is just being really hand in glove with the partners. What's What challenges have they got at the moment and how can we play a role and just being that solution person rather than, hey, that's, you know, that's the that's the sponsor, it's, hey, how do we just generally play a role in your business? Well, I've got a specific question there on that front then, and I might be moving into dangerous territory here, but you have lots of sponsors where the synergy is really obvious, Shell, Ford, Goodyear, etc. But looking through that list of 47 sponsors, you also have Chemist Warehouse in the portfolio. Chemist Warehouse, for those overseas, might not know what a chemist is. Sometimes you call it a drugstore. But it is typically Chemist Warehouse partnering with female-orientated sports such as women's football codes or the Australian Open. Car racing isn't known for having lots of female participants. So I'm curious about why Chemist Warehouse is attracted to the space. So with Chemist Warehouse, they're almost coming back to your objectives. Their main objective is to be your you know, valued health partner. And so for us, um, and if you're not familiar with with supercars, we've got some big enduro events. So you've got multiple drivers in the car. So basically how they help us as a, as a health partner is they've got brands, internal brands like INC Sports Nutrition, um, Hydrolytes, all the different things you need on a race weekend. So we've got a pit crew of up to 10 guys who are jumping, wearing these hot fire suits, changing tyres. So been having protein shakes, all the different sort of nutritional pieces they do for them. And also with recovery as well for the drivers, you're in a car that's maybe 30 degrees hotter than it is outside. So it can be, you know, 60 or 70 degrees in the cab. You're out, you're in ice baths. So that's how we sort of fit in with those guys, particularly with our support crew they help, but also our drivers for, you know, your time of need, having the right the right supplementation to to get through races. So with Chemist Wealth, we build in that INC sports nutrition as a, as a big piece of the partnership. I love that because my mind just thinks chemist warehouse. I just think drugs and medication. But of course, when you go into a chemist, there's so many more products and all those things that you just spoke about. So that makes a lot of sense. Nigel, earlier this year, you announced Ream, which is a heating and cooling company. They'd signed for a seventh consecutive year. Talk us through about how you approached that renewal with Reem and why the partnership has been so successful. And it'd be great if you could outline, because you've spoken earlier before about making sure that the partnerships are all driven around what some specific goals and objectives are for the brand. Talk us through who Reem are. So Reem don't sell directly. They they sell through third parties. So the biggest, they've got pretty much one main objective, um, which is which is B2B engagement. So at every racetrack, they will they will have a B2B engagement throughout the whole year. So a lot of it is just making sure that their guests there and they, they entertain amazingly. They really look after the people from they arrive to the track. They've got the right gear on and hats. Um, they're out on the grid. So for them, it's really that 
that um, supplier engagement is their, their number one piece. So if we can make sure that their guests leave from the track, you know, really feeling really valued and have a really unique experience or we'll get them in the cars and they'll film them and, and create great pieces of content for those partners. And there's a great a brand piece as well. Like they, they, they play a lot in um, AFL and they do a lot on, on radio as well um, with Triple M. So we just tie into probably the blue collar nature of that work. Um, they, there is a brand piece for them as well. But as so most importantly is that that engagement, which which they do really well. Racing V8 supercars isn't something that would immediately come to mind as being environmentally friendly, especially when you start to factor in all the travel that needs to happen for races. However, last year in 2022, you announced that Dick Johnson Racing was going to become the first carbon neutral supercars team and you actually attained the FIA's highest level of three-star environmental accreditation. How do you build that into your storytelling when selling sponsorships? And is it something the brands are actually connecting with? It's super topical at the moment. Uh, and They're definitely connecting with it. It's, it's interesting, the racing, the actual race cars on track account for 1.6% of our emissions. So you think of that, um, like our higher cars at an event are 4.4%. So we, we spend more carbon we use sorry use more carbon traveling to the track in the in the higher cars than we do in the actual race track so it's a really interesting problem to work through and it is a really great catalyst for conversation a lot like here probably some of our biggest challenges around yeah transporter so there's a big truck that travels all across australia um, with our cars that takes 10 percent of our requirements so for at the moment we're working with with a lot of our partners um, at the moment probably penske viva and ford are all playing um, a part in this transportation sort of mobility space. So it's great to have people who are have a lot of skin in the game to work through these challenges. But to use a transporter, there's there's ten percent of our carbon output. So at the moment, we're working with both those organisations, Penske and Viva, on a, a VHO biofuel. So how do we get that biofuel into Australia? set it at different places so that when we travel we can stop in at sydney refuel and have very limited um very limited um offset from there so it is a super interesting challenge and obviously you see in formula one or formula e uh racing's transitioning to to battery cars so it's a super interesting conversation starter um and it's a it's a massive challenge for for any football would be no different like yeah your emissions from a game of football with you know 50,000 fans traveling there, lights, energy is, is huge. Um, so I think a lot of our partners can use it to showcase what they're doing. So for example, Instyle Solar, one of our other great partners, we've got a 100 kilowatt solar system. So since we became carbon neutral, we've added solar component. We're looking at the VHO for the transporter. Um, also looking at, hey, we've got our Ford diesel uh, trucks, which can also run on a biofuel. Do we start doing that for particular races? But I think it is just a great catalyst for conversation and how can you start doing small things? Uh, also tracking it is a real challenge. So working with another one of our partners, DXC, uh, on like a pilot ESG system. So we're only an organization of 40 people. So how can we make it easy to capture what we're doing to go, are we actually chipping away at this? Are we just offsetting by planting trees or are we actually making a tangible effort to reduce those emissions and having some simple technology you can have in um, that we can use. And then we get together every year with all of our partners for a summit. How can we showcase that and add value to, to the rest of our partner group? We spoke earlier or you spoke earlier and told that great story about Dick Johnson uh, racing at Bathurst. 
Now, Dick Johnson Racing is, as you said, the longest operating motorsport team in Australia. It was established in 1980. As a driver, Dick Johnson was a five-time Australian touring car champion and a three-time winner of that race at Bathurst, the Bathurst 1000. He's in the V8 Supercars Hall of Fame as part of Queensland's 150-year celebrations. He was named as one of the Q150 icons of Queensland for his role as a sports legend. And that list of 150 only has 15 sports people on it. It's fair to say that the man has some status. How much does that play into selling and activating sponsorships for you? It's an interesting one because DJ's in his in his late 70s now. He still comes into the workshop every single day, um, goes down and has a chat with, with all the lads uh, downstairs and it comes up and, and is, is involved, absolutely loves what he does. Um, his son and grandson are, are still involved in motor racing. Uh, but it's a, it's a challenge for us because it is, uh, it is a great legacy he has and we involve him with partnerships. We have to just be conscious to not over overloading with commercial requirements. Um, but it is, it's so interesting. You get to Bathurst um, and you've got, you know, your driver signing and we often will get DJ to come in to, to do some signing and his line will be as long, if not longer than the current lineup. And people just love him. And he's such a, um, uh, just a typical Aussie guy. Um, and I think, you know, the fact that, that fans literally started the team, he's still very, very conscious of that and still, you know, hangs out there for hours signing things and and gets involved and travels probably to 80% of our races still. So, yeah, to have him here is awesome. And it's just probably the balance of of using him when we need to without, without overloading him. Let's talk about data. It's always something that I feel like we need to pretty much cover in every single show because everybody's using it. Everybody's still trying to figure it out a little bit. People are using it in different ways, using different systems, etc. How do you use data in your role, both in selling sponsorships, but but also then pulling that data out and, and telling a story when you're reporting back to sponsors? We, we use a couple of different measures and it's probably something, it is a growth area for us as well, but well, we started using core probably just over 12 months ago. And that's been really great with just our absolute fundamentals, see where we're at. It's great for reporting to our um, our ownership team on, on where things are at and making sure nothing slips through the cracks. That's been great. Um, we've done some independent surveying of fans. Um, we just surveyed, we got about 25,000 uh, the year before last. And then from there, each year, we're trying to get a, you know, at least a sample of 5,000 fan um, surveys. So just having some of that just standard data across hey, where are we tracking, sponsor recall, those sorts of things. Um, some of our partners, and that's probably with the growth will be from us, and, you know, having a major partner is Viva Energy, which is Shell. Um, they've got some amazing insights teams. So being able to tap into, and I've sort of touched on it a few times, working hand-in-hand with partners. Repco, you get a lot of different data on what their fans are doing. They're a sponsor of the whole series as well as, as our supercars team. So really tapping into those teams and getting that customer research is I say growth area for us. So we've got, I guess, yeah, you know, your um, your Nielsen data as well, giving QI and some general sport analytics. Um, but I think that independent data as well can be really powerful with renewals on on brand recall, but also on you know um, uh, intention to purchase as well. Do you build much of that data? Obviously, you use it in reporting, as you said, to management and brands that you're partnering with. Do you use it much in pitching? 
Yeah, I have done a bit. Um, I have done a bit, um, particularly with that larger survey we did. We had a couple of areas that we were focusing on. One of them was actually solar, um, which we got some really great data when we put together that proposal for our, our current solar partner around, hey, you're part of our carbon neutral strategy. And also there is some genuine appetite from the market around solar. And obviously there's there's lots of nuances around that is, you know, where you are geographically, um, do you have access to that partner? Um, are you ready to buy? But it was just good to have some sort of data that you're not just stabbing in the dark. There's some, some even if it's a sample of 5,000, we know, hey, 1,000 are interested. So when you, you know, extrapolate that data across a whole fan series of, you know, call it a million fans, it does, it just helps with, with your narrative. I don't think there's many answers where you haven't spoken about how it's really important to work hand in glove with the partners to be able to deliver outcomes, understand their business, to be able to change as their business changes. As such, what's an activation that you've been particularly proud to have worked on? And it doesn't have to be where you are now. It could be in a previous role. It's probably Darwin. I've touched on it just now, but the, the laptop program in Darwin through through DXE's Futures Foundation, um, it's really cool. So they're, they're a technology company and they're about just giving people access to technology to, to make a difference. Um, so being able to get, as I say, Penske, uh, Viva involved in that and Repco. And hopefully, you know, we only did 30 laptops this year in a pretty short run window. But having those partners work together, it's particularly big organisations that can be difficult uh, to get things signed off with lots of levels. But being able to grow that partnership and, and actually make a genuine difference in communities that may not get that opportunity, that was that was a really cool one because for me, it's like, hey, this is year one, but in five years, we could have done the whole school or something like that. So I think it's when partners work together on something that it is the best, um, they're the sort of best outcomes you look for. Excellent. That's a really positive one. Let's go right down the other end of the spectrum and talk about a, a, a not so great situation. I think you alluded to it before when sometimes partnerships don't go as smoothly as maybe we hope. Can you share a time or, or, or an example when a partnership wasn't going smoothly and you had to step in and do something about it, you had to address it. What was happening and how did you get through it? I think the best example, and, and um, I'm not going to take credit for it, I was there, but um, the, the head of commercial at the time, Phil Rigby, drove this one with Hyundai. So they'd been they'd been with um, the Brisbane Lions for a long time and we weren't going that well. And it was probably, you know, the brand recall was through the roof. Um, they were engaging with the academy. It was sort of like what's next for them. They weren't actually on front. They were on kit, but they weren't a prominent spot on the kit. And it was almost getting to a point where, like, what was next? And and what they created, and I think the guys at Carlton did it at a similar time, was, was created a sales model. So they created the Hyundai facilitator. So they brought an in, in, in-house resource in to sell cars on, on behalf of Hyundai. So they went from a model with, hey, it's brand only, um, we're – governed by these different metrics to, hey, we're actually selling cars. So when I'm out and about chatting to new business, hey, do you guys have a fleet? Who's your fleet with? When's the end of life? Are you interested in, uh, in speaking to Kylie, who's the lady who, who ran the program at the time? So being able to get those real tangible outcomes for them, hey, you know, we sold 200 cars this year, 150 cars, or whatever that metric is, having that real tangible result for the sales team going, hey, the brand's going well, but more importantly, we're selling cars, we're growing share of voice. I thought, you know, to this day, that's the best partnership I've seen. And we've had some chats with our current partners at, at Dick Johnson Racing around, hey, what is a way we can, you know, whether we play in the tyre space, or we 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 look at maybe getting a franchise from that, that partner and actually having a completely separate business model. I think there's something so powerful in seeing those sales results and you're, you're literally in it together. Hey, we're out 
hunting for sales. We're, we're, we're trying to actually move the needle. Um, and that, you know, so that partnership's continued to endure. Kylie, the lady who um, who started that program, she's still working for the Lions now. I think it must be in its eighth or ninth year. So for me, um, well, it's not something I um, I created myself. It was just the best example I've seen of how to, hey, what have we got? How can we reinvigorate it? And, uh, and Phil and Pete McClendon did a great job of that um, quite a few years ago now. Very good. Very interesting. Very thought-provoking. Are there any emerging areas of sponsorship or trends that have caught your eye and you've thought to yourself, oh, this could really provide an opportunity in the market soon? Obviously, there's um, there's some interesting pieces around AI that I think uh, are interesting. But for, for me, the, the most interesting was the sort of the CSG space around that social impact. And there's some great case studies of um, Angel City FC in the States with with Natalie Portman, I believe, is the, the main orchestrator of it. But there's some real pieces around, hey, here's your sponsorship, and it is it is whatever it is, but there's a direct social impact cause behind it. So that they're generally trying to use sport as a vehicle to do good in the community or in their, their local environment. So I think that's really interesting. And also like that, almost a celebrity culture that's that's pretty hot right now with, a, you know, Ryan Reynolds with a Wrexham FC um, over in the UK, and I believe uh, Michael Jordan's recently bought into NASCAR. So that sort of celebrity culture is a really interesting one with, that are driving brands and are driving outcomes. So, yeah, and, and probably more relevant for motorsport, the drive to survive for Formula One, it's just been incredible. We, we One of our races in, is at the Melbourne Grand Prix. Um, so we go down there, Formula One's obviously the main attraction. And just to see the amount of people who are now amazingly engaged with Formula One. I think it's a real 50-50 split with with men and women. Um, they're really interested. They've got in the team principals and some of the people behind the scenes are as popular, if not more popular than the, than the drivers. So having that, I guess, celebrity fixation, for lack of a better word, is a really interesting one. And how to how does sports leverage it? How do you get someone onto your board to, to help with what you're doing? But I, I do think there needs to be a bigger why around their involvement. It's an interesting one because I think maybe our next guest is going to be from the UFC. And so they've, well, Conor McGregor's got a Netflix special out at the moment. My daughter is obsessed with it. She's 11 years old. She doesn't like violence in any form. Even when my son and I just play fighting, she can get quite upset by it. But she's absolutely hooked and fascinated on this Conor McGregor series, has watched it a couple of times. But it's really interesting to see how that entertainment piece is engaging with different fans. And I'm just waiting for the time when she says, oh, I want to go to the UFC or I want to watch an actual fight on TV because the Drive to Survive has had a similar impact on me. I've always kept an eye on the news, watched the highlights, you know, sort of kept an eye on things, but would religiously watch Drive to Survive and, and actually now started watching some of the races. So it is a really interesting piece to, to attract new fans because ultimately that's what brands are trying to do. They're trying to engage with an audience that they would otherwise find hard to engage with or, or not be able to do it as cost-effectively as they can through sponsorship. So I think you make a really interesting point there. Nigel, are there any resources you lean on to help keep you up to date or, or fresh in the industry and stay sharp? 
I probably don't do as, spend as much time on research at the moment as, as I'd like, but it's always just great chatting to people in your industry. Well, I've got some some great contacts over the years, whether in venue management or there are different clubs or different organisations, and it's I feel like having those coffees. Uh, it was funny in the AFL when through COVID, we the commercial managers really didn't deal with each other much, but through COVID, we had a lot of these working groups just to work out what we are doing. And through that, you, you struck these really great friendships over a period of time. So I feel like chatting those those coffees with people in the industry is really powerful. Even, you know, chatting to yourself earlier, earlier today, you know, just getting some insight into what other people are doing is 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 super interesting. Um, but it's probably a growth area for me, but always just try to at least, you know, once a week touch base with, with someone in the industry and check in and, um, yeah, continue to foster those relationships. Very good. Now, Nigel, as we start to round this out, I wanted to contrast your last two organisations. The football club, the Brisbane Lions, has a lot of admin staff, a lot of resources. But as you said, the racing team doesn't have that. What is one pro and what is one con when considering that? And and I'll make it a little bit harder by not allowing you to just say the resources that are available. What's one, one pro and one con versus working in a big organisation versus a, a smaller, more tightly knit organisation? For the pro in motorsport, as I say, you're a lot more connected with the performance side. So, you know, on a race weekend, or even when we're planning out that Darwin event, which I touched on earlier, you're working with our team principal who basically runs the show from a performance perspective. You're hanging out with him every day. You're hanging out with the drivers, the you know, pit crew, all the mechanics, the engineers. So you're you're really tight with all the guys because you've got to be. You're traveling for a week together. You're, you're on top of each other. So having that... Um, relationships from you know top down in the business is a lot easier with 40 people um they're much more aware in motorsport of the commercial interests because you know they know where the money only comes from one area and it's coming from our department so they're much on board with hey can you help me out and jump in and do a sweet appearance to one of the engineers or you know we're doing an extra pit tour so can we sneak in and do this or get some photos they're always really well um really aware of those commercial entities and and probably in football being so much bigger you know you've got you know literally hundreds of people you're much more disconnected and there's very much the football department and then commercial for us we were even geographically different we were upstairs so um that piece and probably the the downside is just the um diversification of revenue so in a football club you've got membership revenue you've got your corporate hospitality you've got coterie groups um, you've got a heap of other different revenue streams you can look at. With motor racing at the moment, it's very much you make a little bit out of merchant merchandise, um, but your partners are a really big piece of that. So being able to be more creative, I know we're at the lines at a time we're looking at building our own agency um, and those sorts of things. When you've got more resources, which I sort of I sort of wouldn't say, but it, it, it is it is true in a way. Um, they're probably the, the two main differences for me. Nigel, thank you so much for the insightful chat. If people want to get in touch, connect with you, or find out more about what the team is up to, what can they do? Where can they go? Probably the best part is just follow us on LinkedIn, the Shelby Power Racing team, and um, and myself. I play on LinkedIn a fair bit, and my full name's Nigel Calder. Outstanding. And, of course, listeners will put links to those in the show notes. Nigel Calder, Head of Commercial, thank you so much for taking us inside sponsorship at Shelby Power Racing team. Thanks so much, Daniel. Pleasure. As someone who lives in Australia and kind of keeps an eye on most sports but has never been a huge fan of the supercars, I found that chat really, really interesting. 
the innovative approach mixed with just good old-fashioned best practice in a small team makes it clear why the team is so well-respected on and off the track. You can connect with Nigel on LinkedIn. Just search for Nigel Calder. That's C-A-L-D-E-R. And you can follow the team, of course, at djr.com.au. Finally, it was great to be able to connect with someone new and give them a shout out. So if you're listening and you aren't connected with me on LinkedIn, please jump on and connect. I'd love to hear from you and hear about what you're up to. Just search for Daniel Oyston, that's O-Y-S-T-O-N, and say hi. That's a wrap for episode 124. Until next time, I'm Daniel Oyston. Thanks for listening to Inside Sponsorship. Thanks for listening to the show. For more episodes and to subscribe to the show, search for Inside Sponsorship on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever it is you listen to your podcasts. Also, for more free industry-specific resources, including blogs, ebooks, white papers, and our Insights newsletter, head to coresoftware.com. Finally, be sure to follow Core Software on Twitter and LinkedIn.